and welcome to Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. I'm Jen Liebman, the assistant editor of Fraud Magazine, and today I'm joined by Alex Quilici, CEO of UMAL, a free robocall blocking app for mobile phones. Uh, UMAL also produces the UMAL Robocall Index, which provides stats on robocall volume across the U.S., and it's our topic of discussion today. Prior to UMAL, Alex was co-founder and CEO of Quack.com, a consumer voice portal service. Quack.com was bought by AOL, and Alex was vice president of voice services there. He has a PhD in computer science from UCLA, and he's an expert on all things robocalls. Alex, thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, before we dig into the index, I thought you could explain what exactly constitutes a robocall and the difference between one that's merely annoying and one that's a scam. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, with a robocall, the general definition is it's an automatically dialed call that may or may not also provide an automatic pre-recorded audio experience. That's generally the definition of a robocall. There's a legal definition, which is a call placed by an automatic dialer and a lot of stuff about that, but that's generally what a robocall is. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, uh, scams or spam, there's sort of, but we'd say there's three types of robocalls. There's robocalls that people actually really want. The prescription reminder, come pick up your prescription, right? If they just send you a text, it's buried in hundreds of texts, but a call gets your attention. Uh, things like reminding you, hey, you didn't pay your credit card yesterday. Oh, good. I'm glad I know I can make the payment. Those are good. People want those. There's a set of robocalls that are really kind of unwanted telemarketing. That's that's spam, right? So you might have decided you wanted to buy a car. You went to some website. Now you're getting just tons of calls where they matched your you know, email address and phone number to your cookie and your website. Now you're getting these calls. Those are really unwanted telemarketing. And finally, there's the worst of the worst, which are the calls that exist solely to scam you, to steal your identity, to get your credit card, those sorts of calls. So where are, you know, who is perpetrating those scam calls? Where are they coming from? How do they work? So a lot of the scam calls are overseas, but not all. So, and the way they work is surprisingly simple. Someone gets a computer that can make these calls or gets access online to, to a service that'll make these calls. They put in a list of numbers. Uh, it used to be they just said, you know, dial randomly from the first number to the last number. Now they'll get a list of numbers from a breach and start dialing those numbers. Or And the automatic dialer starts dialing the numbers. And when someone answers, it gets connected to a person. And often in between now there's bots. So when you answer, the bot talks to you for a little bit and then connects to a person. But that's, it's a pretty simple model. The idea is almost like a banner ad, show it to tons of people or call tons of people, get a small number of people to click or respond and a small number of those to convert. And that's how the scammers operate. Okay, so now let's uh, turn to the UMAL index. Tell me, give me some background on it, you know, how you started it and, you know, just some of the major findings from the most recent one you guys have done. Sure. So the UVAL robocall index tries to understand or estimate the number of robocalls that are out there, what types are out there, where they are, and, and really look at things from a, a regional perspective, the country as a whole or different states or cities. The data from it actually comes from the users of the UMAL app. So over time, we've had well over 10 million people download our app, install it, and use it. 
And so that gives us a pretty good statistical sample by looking at the behavior they have. What robocalls are coming in that we block, what robocalls are coming in they want. And because we actually, to protect users, we not only protect their ringer, but we protect their voicemail box, we become their voicemail. So we have the audio of audio trails that these scammers leave and the spammers leave and the robocallers leave. So from that, we can est make estimates by extrapolating from our base to the country or various regions what's actually going on. And the point of it was to track progress. Like, are we seeing more robocalls? Are we seeing less? Are we seeing more scams, less scams? What's going on? That, that's why we did it. Originally, it was just for us. And then we realized it would have value to everyone. So one of the things I was reading about is how, you know, robocalls, you know, despite legislation, you know, enforcement actions, do not call registries, it hasn't really, those things haven't really done much to decrease the volume. Like they're just, they just keep on coming. So what is behind that? So the biggest issue is it's super easy to make a robocall. It doesn't <laughs> take much to go find a carrier that'll take your, your traffic and, you know, give you a bunch of phone numbers now and let you make calls, right? When it's that easy and that cheap, people are going to do it. Now, to be fair, there are things that have made progress. We have seen a big decline in the number of scam calls. But before everybody gets too excited about that, a big part of that seems to be the robocallers getting targeted. So it used to be you'd call 100 million people trying to find those 500,000 or million people that are really the good, you know, the, the older adults if you have a Medicare scam or whatever it is. Um, but now they're getting smart and they're using lists. So they may call just the million people who are most susceptible. And so you still have the same harm from the scams, you just don't have the nuisance quality. So what we've seen is there actually are fewer scam calls, but there's still sort of the same amount of scam damage. At the same time, we're seeing actually more robocalls for telemarketing, more robocalls for payment reminders. And that's because as carriers try to block stuff or label stuff as spam likely or block it, they block all sorts of good stuff. And so those guys just try harder so they end up making more calls from more different numbers to try to get through. And that's why overall, it doesn't look like huge amounts of progress. There are progress, there is progress in certain areas, but overall people still get way more robocalls than they want. What makes somebody susceptible to a robocall? You know, who is most at risk of getting those? So what's really interesting is you're susceptible to a robocall if the topic of the robocall is something that's relevant to you. So it turns out that's everybody. So we did a survey and we found that 80% of Americans had had a brand impersonation scam attempt. Someone pretending to be Amazon or a bank or whatever else. And the victims of those scam attempts were across the board. In fact, older adults lost a little more money each time they were scammed, presumably because they have more money. And younger adults got scammed more, slightly more. So it's, it's the gamut. And so you can imagine too, it's student loan scam, you're probably in your 20s and 30s where it's relevant. It's not necessarily relevant in your 60s. If it's a Medicare scam, it's your 60s, 70s, 80s. Bank scam could be anybody. Money transfer, really young, right? 15, 20, 25. So they, they, they're very good at targeting different groups. So everybody's susceptible. So say I answer a call and it turns out to be a robocall. How do I know if it's a scam? So you can't really know, right? <laughs> okay. You have to assume this is going to be a scam. Unless you, you've just called the, called your bank and they're calling you right back. And, hey, I'm calling about the check problem you had 10 minutes ago. Okay, then that's not going to be a scam. 
But in general, you just have to assume that any call coming in is a scam. And the best thing to do is if it says fraud alert from, from a credit card company, go get your credit card, look at the number on the credit card and call back. And in fact, a lot of the, the credit card companies now, when they leave a fraud alert message, actually say, don't call us back, call the number on your credit card, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So they're actually, they know that people aren't going to just dial back. They know people aren't going to answer. And so that's how they're using it to get your attention. So the sad thing is you can't trust the phone number yet. It's getting closer to where you can test the phone numbers real, but you can't, um, you can't count on the owner of the phone number that's showing up really being them. And when someone talks to you, you can't count on them being a representative of that entity. It's just a completely untrusted environment now, and it's calls and texts. So it seems like, you know, we've got something like the do not call registry, but that doesn't seem to really help. <laughs> it's the do not call registry is a lot like a no trespassing sign. So if you put a no trespassing sign on your property, the good guys are going to go, oh, I shouldn't trespass. The bad guys, the burglars, that's the least of their problems. But we have the same thing with the do not call list. It's super easy for the bad guys to ignore it. And in fact, there's court records showing that some bad guys actually use the DNC as their target list because they found that people on the DNC were more likely to answer thinking, oh, well, it's only going to be a real call. So, you know, given that we have legislation, enforcement actions, things like that, what are all of those actions doing right and what more can be done? So I think there's a couple things that the actions have done right. So one thing is that they've given enforcement more tools to go after the bad guys. A simple one was, I think there was like a statute of limitations before of a year, and now they can take longer. There's more tools they have for fining and doing things like that. So they've given enforcement a bunch of technical tools that are better, and we're seeing more enforcement actions. That's, that's great. The fact we're seeing more enforcement actions is great. The fact that the attorneys generals have formed a task force to go after the bad guys or the highest volume spam callers, that's a good thing. So I think that's that's bucket number one is enforcement is getting better. I think bucket number two is there was a push to get shake and stir implemented. And that what that basically was is authenticated caller ID. It is kind of crazy that your caller ID isn't authenticated, right? That anybody could just randomly make up a number and make a call. Well, that's been rolling out and that the kind of the loopholes are steadily being removed. And that's a good thing. It is helping. The problem mm -hmm. with that one, though, is the bad guys have already figured out how to abuse it. So if you used to make up a number and call right now, it's either going to get blocked because it's not a stir shaken or it's going to show up as unauthenticated. There'll be a problem with it. Well, what do you do? You just go get a bunch of real numbers and you call from the real numbers and you do relatively low volume. So you're kind of hard to detect. When you get detected, you go to another carrier and you kind of you know, it's cat and mouse game. And the problem there is you get the little green check mark like on my T-Mobile phone. So I actually looked and I have more green check marks from spammers and fraudsters than I do from real businesses calling me. So there's a problem there, but it was the right thing to do to move in that direction. They've just got to do more. I think those are the two really big things that have helped. I think one of the disastrous things is the bad labeling that, that folks are doing. Like we're uh, a hospital gets labeled as spam likely. Now the hospital is trying to get a hold of you and they're calling three times instead of one. That's just more robocalls, right? Your phone's ringing more and that's a problem. That that hasn't worked. So you mentioned the shaken stir. <laughs> I'm assuming that's not a reference to James Bond's favorite drink. So um, what exactly does that mean? It, it's basically when a carrier initiates a call, they sign it 
right? So they've cryptographically signed it saying, I originated this call, this is a number, and I have some relationship with the party making the call. Like if you're T-Mobile, you say, I know this subscriber, it's my subscriber, I know exactly who it is, should be a safe caller, should at least be from that, that person. Uh, if it's a carrier that's supporting an enterprise, it might be a different level of authentication saying, I know this enterprise in general, it should be good, but I don't, I can't say if it's not violating TCPA or something else. And there's another thing that just said, yep, I passed this traffic through. It was unsigned when it got to me, but yep, I got it. I pushed it along. And so the whole idea is you know more about the call, right? You know, you've got a carrier that's ostensibly responsible for putting that call on the network or moving it along the network and saying, yep, that's me. This number's real. Okay. So it's really all about just, you can't spoof numbers as easily. You can't just make up a number anymore. It's going to not get signed by a carrier if you do that, at least in theory. So what are some of the biggest scams, robocall scams right now? What are you know some of those things that you're seeing out there? So a couple ones. Uh, one is just uh, package delivery stuff, right? Like there's a problem with your package. Uh, you, you need to call us to get it moving along. You have to pay a fee. Um, that's by calls and text. That's a big one. A second one is uh, there's a subscription payment. There's been a charge to your card. Your subscription was renewed. Uh, you just bought an iPhone. And this call is letting you know that in case there's a problem, you know, press one and talk to us or call back this number. Those are nasty because you call back and like, oh, we just need a credit card so we can credit you for that, you know, bad charge and off you go, right? So those are really big ones that are out there now on the consumer side. On the business side, it's a little more subtle. It's basically things like, hey, your Google business list, Google's going to get rid of your listing for your business unless you pay these fees. And people, you know, have a business, they panic. They, I can't let like, Google not list me anymore and pay the scammers. So those are some of the biggest ones right now by volume. There are things around student loans. There are things around those uh, COVID employee tax credits. There's a surprising number of different scams. There's a publisher's clearinghouse one. Hey, you just want a bunch of money, but we need your bank account to transfer it, right? So, you know, that's not ideal, right? People have a fantasy of the big check and instead they end up giving some of their personal info away. Are there areas of the country that get more robocall volume than others? And why is that? So there are. Uh, often it's in parts of the South. And the, the thing is, what, what causes you to get robocalls are you're on a target list somehow, right? So you, maybe you're older, so they're going to target places that have more older people to go after the Medicare and other scams. Uh, you get robocalls because of economic issues. You get if you get behind with one credit card, you're probably behind with all of them, which means guess what? Everybody's on your case and the bank. And, and then it's just misery, right? With all these people, all these robocalls telling you to, to pay things. Um, so when you're in these sort of more economically deprived regions, you're going to get calls. And then finally, the last thing is if you answer the phone a lot, you're going to get these calls. Well, certain parts of the country are you know, more polite. They answer calls. South especially, there's data from call centers showing the people in the South are maybe 40% more likely to answer their phone. So you get that combination. That's why you see cities in Louisiana and Alabama and those places get more calls per capita than other places. And it spreads like Washington, D.C., while there's you know some areas that are probably pretty well off economically, there's a lot of areas that aren't. And so they get tons of calls. Baltimore, you can just kind of look and see where, where there's economic issues. And where there aren't, like maybe the Bay Area or Seattle, places that are economically doing well, they get fewer calls. Okay. Was there anything from the latest index that really surprised you about robocalls? 
I think a, a few months ago, we were a little bit surprised to see this sort of spike in robocalls for a while, right? And so we've sort of thought that it was kind of at a plateau and it shouldn't move very much. And I think the volatility month by month is a bit of a surprise. Um, we were, One thing that didn't surprise us was last month calls dropped because that's when they finally had shaken or sir shaken mandated everywhere. And so the bad guys now have to change their tactics. So some of them got caught you know, back on their heels that dropped the traffic. But the amazing thing is it dropped it 10%, okay. not drop at a hundred percent. Right. So, <laughs> uh, it, but it, you know, you can see when certain actions take place, you can actually look in the index and see it spike or drop based on what's going on. Okay. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the UML app and how that works, how it helps people block so, so sure. So there, there's three things related to the email app. We have a free app, right? The email app is free. It basically replaces your voicemail so we can collect data and see about what calls are bad. And what we do is we build up a list of known bad numbers. So these are numbers that are calling at a meaningful volume. The free service blocks all of those. So you don't have to do it one at a time in a list. We've got our 700,000 or million or whatever it is to get loaded on your phone, constantly updated. So it makes that chunk of the problem go away. What the free app doesn't make go away. And, and if they leave a voicemail, we can have automated technology that scans the voice and say, hey, this is a scam, put it in a spam folder and kind of free it up there. What it doesn't do is the one and dones or the really, really low volume numbers because the scammer just pick, you know, gets 100,000 numbers from a carrier, starts calling. Doesn't make any sense to try to put those in an app because they're only making a few calls. So that's why we have a paid service. And what the paid service does is it forces all unknown numbers to go through a CAPTCHA. So they've got to dial star one, two or whatever to get to you. It works really, really well. 100% robocall blocking. We're pretty good at knowing which numbers should be let through. You know, this is CVS with a pharmacy alert. Um, and if for some reason we let one through that shouldn't, it leaves a message. We can look at it and see what's going on. So it, that gives you really great protection. And it's going to block all the scammers for sure. But the other thing we do with the UMail app is... That data allows us to understand where the bad traffic is and importantly, where it's coming from. So we're now starting to partner with carriers where we can actually tell the carrier, hey, you just originated this bad call and it is a scam. There is no question. It's telling someone that on Amazon, there's a $1,299 iPhone they didn't buy. We know Amazon doesn't make those. You originated that call. You need to shut off the customer or at least block that number from making more calls. So when people sign up for email, they're actually helping solve the problem. Because the, there's more instances, it's like turning our, our user base into a giant honeypot to collect the bad behavior that's being targeted at consumers and go to carriers, go to enterprises, go other places, law enforcement, say, hey, you can actually stop this. We can see what's going on. Um, so I was reading that you have worked with the FCC and helping people with, you know, when they get a scam call and they reported it. Could you talk a little bit more about that work and what you've helped people do? Well, so enforcement's come to us and said, hey, there's a massive number of student loan scams out there. Can you help us? It's like, so first thing we can do is we can show, well, here's the 58 student loan scams that are going on right now. Here's the relative volume. So that helps them prioritize law enforcement efforts. Um, here's some data that you can use to kind of go try to trace back and see where the calls came from find the carriers, try to shut down the traffic. And so we've worked with a number of agencies to actually help them figure out who's making the calls or what calls are out there, prioritize who to go after, and then get analysis and analyze data from things where 
that tell them, hey, here's what's actually happening. Here's the likely volume that these guys did. And so that's helpful. It's shut down the student loan stuff. We were part of that. Uh, the shutdown of the car warranty, that was part of us. And it's because we're collecting so much data. There's no argument about we were calling people and we had their consent, right? Or, you know, these people actually wanted to do this. It's, it's very clear that this is a scam. Someone didn't want the call. Here's the data about when the call was made, what they said. And then that can be very helpful for enforcement. Okay. Um, what was like the most recent enforcement action? Uh, well, there's been some big fines. So there's kind of a path enforcement actions take, right? So the first thing is they try to understand where the calls are coming from and shut them down. That's that's step one. Mm -hmm. uh, step two is usually some sort of uh, legal action against the parties who, after they've investigated, made the calls. Mm -hmm. And then there's usually some sort of settlement attempt or whatever, where there's a fine and there's, you know, there's consent decrees, they won't do it again, that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. So the biggest ones I think that were recent was there was a $300 million fine, I think, for car warranty calls that came out recently. Um, and that involved actually shutting down some small carriers. It was, it was a pretty big deal. So that that's an example where a huge number of calls, you know, they used to, I think they were saying they were making a billion calls every couple months or something. So we're that's maybe 5% of the total robocall volume, maybe 10% of the scam volume in the country. Mm -hmm. Boom gone through this this sequence and shouldn't come back i mean little guys will start up again <laughs> there'll be some car walks. Like, well that's a good playbook let's try to do it a different way but the the really the guys that are really doing it shouldn't be doing it anymore so there was um i was reading about it's a fluent llc i think they were recently there was a settlement with them they're like a telemarketing um consent farm is what i think they're called what do you think about that recent settlement? So that's more about telemarketing. So the, the problem that's out there is consumers may give consent to get these calls without realizing it. So let's say I want to buy a car, right? I might go to a Cars Direct and I'll give them consent to, hey, have dealers in my area call me with about the car I want. Perfectly good. I know what I'm consenting to. I get it. But you have other sites where it's like, hey, I'm shopping for solar. And they'll give your phone number out to hundreds of solar companies. They'll give their phone number out to other electric companies. They'll give your phone. I mean, so all of a sudden you've actually consented without knowing it to almost anybody calling you. And so that's what they're trying to focus on is that's really fraudulent to some degree. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're trying everybody, the FTC and FTC are trying to tighten the rules about what it means to have consent. And they're really going after these folks that are basically not really getting consent. Right. They're not getting informed consent at a minimum. I go to B of A and I say, hey, you can call me about mortgages and finance. I know what I'm getting into. I know what I'm consenting to. But if I go to a website for solar or whatever these things were, I have no idea. OK, um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the index. I found it really interesting that it seemed like in December things had kind of like settled down a little bit or after December things had settled down a little bit. and why might that be? Why would, you know, scammer robocallers take a break? <laughs> well, believe it or not, they make a lot of money and they take vacations. Like we always see calls drop the first week of July, right? So they pretty much know that a bunch of America's on vacation. So why do calls? No one's going to answer. I can't, I can't do my scam. I mean, think of these guys that are scammers as marketers, 
right? They're trying to get a different kind of conversion than the average marketer is trying to do, but they're going to use all the same tactics. When's the best time to reach people? What's the headline that'll get people to pay attention? What's the call to action? And so part of that is the best time to reach people is not around Christmas. It's not around 4th of July. And that volumes drop around those times. We see the volumes drop on weekends. So even if these calls are being generated and there's a call center somewhere overseas in Southeast Asia, they know that weekends are not a great time to get a hold of people. And so they don't make the calls then. Okay. So they work like nine to five, like the rest of us. In, in <laughs> fact, I mean, one way to get into big trouble is call at a different time, right? Like I, I forgot what the rule was, but you're not supposed to call after eight or nine at night. Right. Right. So there's nobody calling then. So that mm-hmm. your comment about nine to five is actually pretty accurate. And I think there's some evidence that they have a couple shifts, one that can handle the East coast starting seven to, to three on the East coast. And one that does the West coast, like, you know, that's the shift that starts at 12 to seven or whatever it is. And I mean, they're, 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 they're businesses. They operate like real businesses. I mean, it seems to me that with cell phones, they wouldn't be quite as successful. Do you think that you know people who don't have like landlines anymore do you think that's affected how robo callers do their thing well i think you know landlines are tough because it's harder to block calls right you're really relying on your carrier but there's sort of been the cheap solution that people try to do with landlines which is they go find a garage sale answering machine run everything through it and try to screen the calls i mean it has lots of downsides but that makes it hard it makes them less likely someone will answer on cell phones, the thing is, a lot of the population is, has been trained. If there's a cell phone call, I need to answer it, right? Especially if I run a small business. Imagine I'm, I'm a dog walker. Well, it could be a client. It could be a, a vet where I've taken a dog. There's a number of reasons where I'm just going to pick up the phone. And that's what they count on with the cell phones. And interestingly enough, Apple's got a new feature coming out called Live Voicemail. And that's with iOS 17, which is kind of like the old answering machine where the call comes in, the person's asked to speak. And when they speak, it shows up on your phone. Feels great, Right. But this, that's a scammer's best friend because the scammer is talking, saying, yes, this is, you know, their normal message. This is Amazon. We have a charge. Oh, I got a charge. I better press one. And now they're taking advantage of you having to react in real time versus before they might have just gone to voicemail and you'd look at it. And this seems a little weird. Let me go to the Amazon website. So re- the cell phone, because it's so responsive, is really challenging. The good news is you can have blocking apps on the cell phone that help people and reduce the number of calls they've got to deal with. I wanted to thank you so much for such a great discussion today. And thank you for listening. You can find this podcast along with other episodes of Fraud Talk on acfe.com, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This has been Jen Liebman signing off.